the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to the Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Mary Jane Laurie and I'm delighted to be interviewing Hannah Jackson, aka the Red Shepherdess, for this Women in Agriculture podcast. Hannah is a new entrant farmer who has her own flock of sheep but also carries out contract shepherding. She's an active ambassador for the agriculture industry and in recent years has become somewhat of a farming celebrity. So welcome, Hannah. Hi, thank you for having me. Not at all. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you where did you grow up? Yeah, of course. So I grew up, well, I had a complete towny bring, like, upbringing, really. I grew up on the Wirral, which is just the other side of the River Mersey to Liverpool. Yeah, I pretty much had a very standard kind of towny life like that. I um, was lucky that we, as a family, were quite an outdoor family anyway. We had a caravan, we used to go out all the time. But mm-hmm. um, apart from that, I had absolutely no connections of farming at all. I just have been absolutely obsessed with animals since like before I could even walk or talk like my family would call me like Dr Doolittle and I was just <laughs> attracted to kind of any animal in the room so I think a career in animals was definitely always on the cards when I was tiny Um, it just never ever ever appeared that it was going to be farming so it's been crazy. Yes. Did you go off and study something to do with animals then to begin with? Yeah yes yeah. so I spent my whole life kind of fixated with marine mammals um I watched okay. like free willy when I was little and that was like my thing I was like I, all I wanted to do was be Jesse jumping <laughs> to see like with killer whales like loving it so I mean I, I spent like my whole life working up to that um I got loads of experience and I used to work with sea lions at no safari park I like oh, wow. swam 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 to make sure I passed like every kind of um swimming test or anything like that that was ever going to be I probably watched every kind of whale and dolphin documentary you can ever see <laughs> um <laughs> then I went to Liverpool John Moores and I studied a degree in animal behavior okay. um and I actually spent my third in my second year in the summer I spent five weeks out in the Canadian wilderness studying killer whales which was literally oh, a dream you. come true oh I loved wow. it I was literally um I had no electricity no running water there was like five of us that lived on this completely derelict island that was uninhabited by anything else apart from like bears cougars wolverines wow. <laughs> all these big scary animals yeah yeah but I loved it I like I embraced my inner hippie when I was there for sure yeah oh, um, awesome. did you get much interaction with the whales when you were there well we were mostly kind of we were researching from like a thought so we were looking okay. at the effects that boat trafficking was having on the like the whales behavior so right opposite where we were stationed there was like a protected area for the whales that boats couldn't really go into much and um it's they're the only killer whales in the world that will use their bellies and rub on the stones on the bottom of the water and it's like a spa for them oh, and um right. it's incredible they literally like line up one by one and like queue ready for the little spa treatment <laughs> um, like, so yeah it was it was brutal so I was either on the water in a boat or I was like up on a cliff watching so not like hands-on interaction but like with whales every day and loved it so when I came back from there I was like boom this is exactly what we're like wanting to do Um, I applied for a master's in marine biology and I got that I got a placement well I got two I got two places I got a place in St Andrews and I got a place at Bangor in Wales so yeah that's the whole my third year I was like working up to that and it was just like normal Um, and then I went to Coniston which is in the Lake District um me and my family used to go every single year since I was tiny every Easter um we go in the caravan all the family like just enjoy the lakes really outside outdoors yeah. uh, and then this time I like we were on a little family walk and this lamb was like born in front of me and I was just like oh I was captivated absolutely captivated mm-hmm. by it just the natural instincts of the lamb and the you kicking in and the communication I was like wow and that was kind of my little light bulb moment I was like actually this is exactly what I want to be doing I want to be hands-on with animals every day I want to be outdoors and yeah farming was just ticking all the boxes so on the way home back to um the Wirral I kind of announced to my whole family that actually I was going to cancel my master's and I wanted to be a farmer (laughs) what did they think were they surprised or had Um, they seen the reaction in you that made you make that big change yeah 
I think a little bit of both. I think they'd seen the reaction when I saw this lamp on. And then I'd spoken to the farmer for like an hour, just like cracking away. Um, yeah. And then we were lucky enough later on that day as well to see a farmer move sheep like right through the village of Coniston. And that, again, just captivated me, like how they were working with the dogs. And yeah. just it's a magical thing to see anyway, isn't it? Whether you're from yeah. farming or not from farming. Yeah, I think it was just a, they were just waiting for the moment when I actually kind of voiced it out loud to them. Um, so I was kind of going over in my head, but um, yeah, they were they were amazing, um, fully supportive. We kind of agreed that I'd be sensible, not cancel my master's, just defer it for a year. So okay. and like kind of give farming a big a good old crack for a year if I could make anything of it, if I could get into the industry and get a career started, then cool. And if I couldn't, go back to the masters and what I'd kind of been working for my whole life, really. What was the first thing you did to try and start getting some work experience and, and working towards oh, hell. getting into agriculture? Well, I mean, it's quite, it's probably so embarrassing some of the jobs that I applied for. <laughs> um, and I should definitely emphasise the fact that I had never stepped foot on a commercial farm before, ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last time I was kind of on a farm was like the little towny farms that we get in the world where you go and feed the pet lambs and yeah, like yeah. snuggle the goats. And I'll be about Pet-ing like three. <laughs> exactly. I'll be like yeah. three or four. Um, so, yeah, I literally, I jumped on Google. I typed in like farm jobs everywhere. Um, I rang people. Yeah, I couldn't tell you how many no's or like non-answers that I got at all. And then, yeah, I eventually decided that I had a pet border collie anyway called Dan. Um, he was four and I was like, oh, I wonder if he would like make a sheep dog. So I got in contact with Derek Scrimminger, who is a sheep farmer up in Cumbria. And he's also an international sheep dog trialer. And I just said, look, could I come with my dog and see what you think of him? And he's like, oh, OK, well, why don't you just come for a week? Like you can work your dog, we can teach you a few things and you can have a go at farming when you're here. Um, and then that week like turned into nine months. Then. And I was with oh, Derek and his family for for nine months and I learned everything from them um which was absolutely brilliant so he was definitely my very big step into the industry I don't know what way I would have gone about it until somebody did finally say yeah but um that's a yeah. hard thing for new entrants isn't it is if you are from a town background where you literally know nobody in farming it's how it. do you get that first step and so for you it was just perseverance would you say that, yeah that's it, it. I mean yeah. I just asked everybody. I think I had the attitude of the worst thing that people can say to you is no. Um, yeah. And the best thing is you get your kind of break in and, and there you go. And it sometimes, I mean, there was definitely times where I felt like I was absolutely getting nowhere. And yeah. like if it was this hard to even kind of get onto a farm just to get some experience, like how on earth am I actually going to kind of create a career in um, in agriculture? But yeah, I think persistence is key. And I think if you really want something, you you just keep going, don't you? And um, yeah, that's definitely okay. what I kept on doing. <laughs> and so after your, was it nine months, did you say, with, with yeah. Derek? Yeah. Um, Where did you go from there? My dog, by the way, that I talk, never made a sheep dog. He was rubbish. Oh, was <laughs> he? So, yeah, we didn't get, I got a new dog off him. Um, I got a new dog off uh, Derek called Fraser, who's been like my right-hand man ever since. Once work started to slow down there, Derek, I kind of started to network out a bit and started doing some more contract stuff. So um, the great thing about being with Derek is that he would like just let me come everywhere with, with them, with him or with him their family. So I'd go to like the sheepdog trials, the auctions, that cultural shows. And it just really helped me kind of get to know people a lot more, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. I talked to social media at that point as well, just to get to learn more really and to meet different farms like all over the country see what was going on not just in Cumbria it was just those networks started to open up then I started to look for more work and then my family decided to kind of make the whole shift really to coming up here we bought a little small holding here in Croglin which is just or oh, just kind of east of Penrith like 10 miles okay. um so right, we're right in the sticks, though. Um, we're pretty far away from everything. Um, mm-hmm. But it's an absolutely beautiful place. We bought a very, very old rundown house that never been lived in for 30 years. Oh, wow. Um, an old kind of sandstone farm barn. Um, and then it had 20, yeah, 25 acres with it as well. So, yeah, so the family didn't really move up for a while. Um, well, they still they still don't technically live here full time. Mum and dad have got a business based on the world, but that takes them all over the country. Um, okay. So I kind of just like lived here by myself for a while doing the contract stuff. And then we got like our first sheep, which is a very big monumental occasion. Yeah. Um, 
yeah so and then that's it for a while all we had was our 25 acres and it's been a bit of a been a bit of a learning curve for me and taught me a lot about patience because trying to get any more land around here has been so so hard and such a painful yeah, process a problem everywhere isn't it it's just land is a finite it? resource and it's just exactly yeah, trying to get hold of it. I was gonna say you've got you've got sisters as well haven't you are they involved in the, the farming business at all or have they no um, interest no well I mean they love getting involved on the farm don't get me wrong but one of my sisters she actually lives two doors down now she's married a farmer um all right but she is a doctor at Carlisle and then my other sister she's studying a PhD in biological engineering in Sheffield so okay. we're all super different um yeah. this Crogland now is definitely home for everybody so we all come back to here um and everyone loves getting out on the farm and doing bits and especially at lambing time and everything so they're not massively into not in the farming business but they're always there to kind of get involved in supporting yeah yeah exactly so what challenges have you faced since starting up? You've obviously had problems getting land. What other challenges have you found as a new entrant? Yeah, I mean, it's getting land and it's keeping the land. Because, I mean, okay. I've had bits of land, but it's on such a short-term basis. And I've had points where I've kind of grown the flock a little bit and I've had to decrease it right back again because the land wasn't yeah. available anymore. And So trying to, yeah. it's trying to get something long-term, which has been a nightmare, which has finally just happened this year for the first time. And again, I think the biggest thing is it is the breaking into the industry is probably like the hardest thing. Um, obviously, I had no experience, like I said, no connections, no heritage, no actual knowledge or anything. I was just rocking up to this farm as kind of like a redheaded scouser, like, please let me <laughs> play farm on your farm. <laughs> um, and I, I think I was quite naive just to think that the industry would like open up their arms and be like, yes, come in, like, come and do this. Um, I always say that I think the agriculture industry is one such a supportive industry and so inclusive but you have to break into it first and then you've got yeah. the arms wrapped around you yeah I think you have to you have to spend your time proving yourself and kind of being the apprentice in the whole thing and I think that's completely um more than fair but um yeah it's just not the easiest to get to that position in the first place yeah um so that probably that is probably the hardest part to be honest for me anyway so tell me a little bit more about the the livestock that you have now then yeah so at the minute this year we're finally increasing the flock so like I was saying before we've been it's been super hard getting land it's been one of the kind of biggest frustrations for me really it's kind of trying to expand and I've had I think at one point when I first started farming and quite early on in the years my interpretation was that the more sheep you have the better farmer you are and yeah I've kind of learned recently that actually it's nothing to do with the amount of sheep or livestock that you have it's how you farm and how your kind of business runs and to look at it from that perspective not just how many sheep so um yeah. we've increased to another just under 40 acres now this year so now we'll be okay. running about, yeah about 65 acres mm-hmm. so kind of finally got a chance to kind of expand we've got we're running about 200 ewes here mostly coming from the north england mule or a replacement from like a texel cross um, and then we've also got a few herdwicks because i just love them to be honest um I just really loved them and it was my first kind of connection with farming like in the lake because I just used to absolutely adore seeing them in the fells and everything so yeah so just have a few of them that I play with yeah and then amongst them we've just had some high cars but I've just got rid of them to be honest again trying to be sensible with my business model and not keep very big expensive pets like highland cows that I had um because we just didn't have this sort of setup that's it I loved them absolutely loved them but we just don't have the setup for for them to kind of expand from what they are and um yeah. they were just wasted to be honest I felt and I felt like I was doing them an injustice really for them being here um yeah. but they're going to like a lovely farm down the road um yeah and apart from that we have we have Tamworth pigs and we have a couple of goats uh, and then chickens and ducks so all our lambs that we produce go straight into a box lamb system and we sell them straight to the public why did you decide to do that rather than selling them the more traditional way yeah um I mean a couple of options really well, a couple of reasons really first well the first one we can make a lot more money on them going sh- like directly to the public and um, mm-hmm. cutting out the middleman and to be honest the reason that we can maybe do so many now is just because of the social media stuff has grown so big and then two like one of the most important things to me um I've been that person that's not had any idea about where the food comes from and I've been that townie who just kind of goes to shop and just buys things without even thinking and now I'm the farmer on the other side and all I want people to do is 
value where the food comes from and look at supporting British farmers and look at supporting local farmers and I think when we can sell our lamb direct to the public it's so much more personal and we can really kind of build a good relationship with them we can tell them the exact story about our lambs they're all finished on the farm like 100% on grass and they're really sustainable for the system Um, yeah it just it just adds a bit more value that way really as well to let people understand the process and how the lambs were born how they live their life and then what happens to them then and and, um, it's just worked really really well and I found especially the last couple of years that there's a lot more interest now and people are really wanting to make a kind of conscious decision on where the food comes from and kind of supporting British farming a lot more and I think people are starting to become a little bit more values driven than than just money driven all the time um yeah yeah so it's not a massive change but it's slow there's been a lot of good TV programs about meat and where it comes from, and yeah, um, just advocating, as you say, buying local, sustainable, sustainable exactly. projects. No, I was just going to say, no, you mentioned I... in there about your um, time on social media. I mean, you spend a lot of time sharing what you're doing every day, which is brilliant for for yeah. farmers and for non-farmers to understand what you're doing. Do you think mm-hmm. all farmers should be trying to educate the public more about what they're doing and and where their food comes from? Yeah, I think we all have a responsibility as anybody that's producing food for the country to give people an insight to how that's produced and what goes into it. I think we're super good as an industry at defending ourselves when people are kind of attacking us, whether that's kind of activist groups or whatever. We're we're great at that. But sometimes we're not so great at telling the story every single day and keeping it fresh in people's minds what we do. So yeah. when we are attacked by certain groups, they, people can actually go, oh, actually, I follow Hannah on social media every day like her lambs aren't bought up like that they're bought up like this 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 and this and they can actually make their own decisions rather than being swayed by complete myths and false kind of accusations that come flying our way so um yeah yeah I think it's so important I mean I didn't start out social media though to to do what I'm doing now I mean I like I said earlier I started it to kind of just get to know um, people in the farming industry a bit more and to learn basically and I mean it's opened up so much opportunities that way too like um, I've got so many jobs through there. I've got kind of scholarships and places yeah. on like the ambassador program for the NSA. So I mean, it's amazing that way too. But yeah, I mean, as it's as the following has kind of grown, it, yeah, I've, there's been so much more awareness of people wanting to understand where the food comes from, and and they want they really really want to see it. Like they send people send messages all the time going, oh, I'd love to see more of this. I'd love to see more of this. Can you talk about this and yeah it, it's brilliant because people really do want to learn so I, I think as an industry we want to be we want to be kind of harnessing that and embracing it and it social media is, it's not hard it's easy yeah. um and it and it's free and you can you can reach so many thousands of people just by jumping online every now and then and just being consistent with putting on some nice photos and some facts and I mean I say put on nice photos but I don't I also don't rose tint farming either um so like I'm not scared about when it gets to lamb time when we've got kind of we need to skin a lamb. I mean, I happily share that with everybody on social media too. And it's just got to be done sensitively in the right way and explain to people, and this lamb has died, unfortunately, but this is going to be, give this mum who's now kind of struggling without a lamb, a new lamb, and she's going to love it. And they're going to, it's going to kind of create a happy ever after for her in the end, even though there's been a, there's been a loss previously. So I think you have to, you have to be careful how you, portray farming I think at certain times but people are very open-minded to the fact that actually with life comes death and like not every single animal on your farm is going to be able to be saved or anything like that so yeah yeah of course as you say it's about handling it sensitively and you, you, there will yeah. be some people that are upset by it but the majority of people I think are following you to to learn what, what you're doing so exactly what, and what would you say is the the reason for your success on social media did you do any like particular courses or anything that taught you how to do it or did you just learn from other people that you you think are good to follow yourself yeah um no yeah just literally just kind of learn um I yep. think I've just always been really really honest from the outset of kind of what we do every day and how things go and um made a real effort to try and explain things in a way that other people would understand and I think because I wasn't from that farming background I think maybe that maybe gives me a little bit of a a step ahead some people because I can kind of explain things in in a towny way so to speak yeah that I wouldn't have have understood either um and I even sometimes now I just I forget that like 
you like go on about like our oh, gimmer lambs and actually nobody outside the farming industry knows what gimmer means I mean <laughs> and like it's just little things like that um so yeah I think that's kind of helped and but I think the most important thing is just consistency yeah it's um being consistent putting things on every day it's showing people the highs and the lows um because the thing is like if you don't share those lows then people can't empathize with with you as a person or with the industry because they've not kind of gone through that process with you so yeah it's just being authentic and honest and yeah and yeah just consistency and I mean some days don't get me wrong I do wake up and I'm so tired and the last thing I want to do is is pop on online and and chat away to people that I don't even know are listening or not listening. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but they're the, days, they're the days that it really matters though. And um, yeah, and, and people are with you and they can see that you're tired or they see that something's bothering you. And But it's lovely them because you've kind of got another support network around you of people that, that are kind of looking out for you and willing you on yeah. and checking in yeah. on you. And so it's brilliant that way as well. And, and I think social media in that way it connects a lot of farmers in that way too that we live a very isolated life at times and some people live in the complete complete isolation away from everybody so again social media is just that chance for people to connect again checking on each other see what's going on and especially with all the covid stuff and people that you know farmers as you say are isolated anyway but exactly there's not been the trips to the markets and there's not been Mm -hmm. like the the local meetings that they maybe we do exactly Exactly. yeah yeah all those little tiny things that make such a difference to farmers lives it's just yeah they've they've been shut down and they so i mean you can tell like if you follow somebody quite often online and you know when they're having a bad day you can tell who's having a bad day and he's not having a bad day and it's just about checking in with those people and seeing oh are you okay or anything I can do or just be in there yeah um so you you kind of mentioned that social media has opened a few doors for you um you've done some sort of work in tv haven't you like um being a guest presenter on country file and things how did that come about was that just through social media yeah again that was that was all through social media um I think the first time I was on it was BBC Farmers Country Showdown and I'd done little bits before for like the local news and mm-hmm. um other bits like that but yeah I think people well the BBC um, Country Valley were following the kind of the journey for a while um and kind of this Red Shepherdess it's almost like a brand now to be honest with you yeah, um but they've been following that for a while and um yeah they just got in touch to say oh we're kind of wanting to do a piece it actually it was great because it was on women in farming and it was on the Scottish um paper and everything that was in Dutton oh, so yeah. uh-huh. um so it was absolutely brilliant um so nice little connection there but yeah, yeah I felt I felt really honored to kind of be the person and the woman to kind of represent women all over the agricultural industry yeah it was quite nerve-wracking it was very nerve-wracking yeah, I um I think before then I'd been on tv but I'd just been getting interviewed myself so when I went to kind of guest present country file it was like my responsibility to interview other people and to get the right kind of content and the right kind of um answers and questions so uh yeah I felt the pressure massively (laughs) Um, (laughs) is it something you'd like to do more of in the future do you think um yeah we're doing we are doing a bit more at the minute we've just filmed a country file actually again the other day some more dog focused stuff so we've got two Mm -hmm. pups off Emma Gray who's an amazing friend and awesome sheepdog trailer over in the Northumberland so me and my other half went and got two pups just before lockdown so yeah Crunch Fab have been kind of following those for for a couple of I think we've been two episodes with them and um, yeah. so we've just done the third one with them now so so yeah always open to kind of doing to doing any more tv stuff any more media stuff really and it's a challenge yeah. for me I quite like it and it, it it makes me feel like well out of my comfort zone and weirdly I'm a bit of a weird person who loves that kind of feeling and that kind of pressure to kind of be on the ball and on your toes and yeah crack on. that kind of leads us on to um SAS who dares wins which I haven't really yeah. watched before but in preparation for this I watched it and oh my goodness that is hardcore <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe some of the things you were doing it was absolutely oh, insane what made you decide to take part in that it's crazy no again I'm just I've always loved the show like absolutely yeah. just one of those programs that I've just been fascinated by and I always watched it um and then literally two days before the deadline closed I found out that they were taking women for the first time ever and I was like what (laughs) I know I was like right if I'm ever gonna do this like I have to be like the first 
part like a group of women on there like I don't want to be the second I want to be like the first ones going through not like I'm competitive or anything at all (laughs) (laughs) I'm not getting that at all yeah Yeah. (laughs) so I applied for it and it was so extensive it was like three pages of like such deep meaningful questions about life like what's your biggest fear what's your biggest regret in life like what do you think all of these things um and then would have been like oh I must have been like a month later and I hadn't heard anything I don't even know why they let me on after I did this by the way because this is so stupid I looked on my email (laughs) and I actually sent my application to the place that if you want to be withdrawn from the process you send it there and I was like oh my word like you idiot so I rang them and I was like I'm so sorry I've uh, sent it to the wrong place can you still look at it and they were like oh no sorry we we finalized it and we're telling everybody on Uh, Friday so this is on the Wednesday and I was uh like all right okay and they're like let me know what your email is and we'll pull up your application we'll just put at the top for next year so I was like right Uh right went into CrossFit and I to like the, the gym thing that we go to and had a little bit of a blowout, like throw some weights around, annoyed at myself. It came out and they'd email to say, oh, we've just seen the application. Can we can we give you an interview tomorrow? So oh, wow. jumped on Skype the next day. I know, it took an hour and a half on Skype with them. And that was it then. They were like, okay, it goes to a panel tomorrow. The panel, like we want to run. And then I had to pass like a psychological test, a physical test, um, and like a CPET test where they kind of it's like when you're on a bike and they put all like the heart monitors on to make sure that you, your oh, heart yeah. rate recovers quickly enough for all stuff. Um, yeah. And then they were like, okay, you're going. So apart from that, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. So they just said, meet us at Heathrow Airport a week tomorrow. So and you had no idea where you were going because it was the Andes no. you went to, wasn't it? Chile. Yes. Yeah. Got there. Yeah. They're like, you're going to Chile. I was like, oh my word. Wow. So yeah. So, I mean, it was, oh, I mean, I thought like it looked hard on telly and I was like that looks really it looks so hard but I think I could do it it was so much harder than what I ever imagined it would be <laughs> yeah. I like how I you think... watched it and thought I can do that because there's absolutely no part of me that would look at that and go yeah I could do that I'm just like ice hole swimming through that yeah. no, no sorry I'm out <laughs> there's no oh, don't get me wrong I knew that it would be horrendous but I thought yeah. I could I'll cope I'll be all right and uh all I knew was that when I went I would never give my armband in no matter what um yeah. I think you probably see about I don't know you probably see about two-thirds of what we actually do okay um, and, it, and it like never switches off and I don't think it's so hard to kind of get across the anxiety you feels like and they took everything off us so I'm in the same pair of knickers and bra and socks for 11 <laughs> days it's oh, like, wow. uh, no shower no hot water just a yeah. toothbrush that was it um so you're stinking you're knackered they're yeah. coming in at like all times of night to wake you up to like beast you outside again. But um, I tell you it's what, the I psychology learned of so it, much. isn't it? As well, that's like it's it. not, it's not just the physical aspect. It's the oh, they're, no. they're trying to it break was, you. Yeah. That's it. It was definitely more. I mean, physically, it was the hardest thing I've ever, ever, ever done. But mentally, yeah. it was way, way more up there than what I ever imagined. And yeah. it taught me so much about kind of learning to control your head and not letting those doubts creep in and yeah you actually you actually figure out that your mind is a very very powerful powerful thing <laughs> yeah absolutely so. and I'm not going to relate this to being a woman in agriculture because the two <laughs> are clearly very different but being the first sort of introduction of women into the SAS because as you say mm-hmm. they were only allowed in last year weren't they yeah it, it's not too dissimilar to breaking into the agriculture industry as a woman because no. we are very outnumbered as women exactly. and I like that on the program that you just had to do exactly the same as the men so if you had to carry a yeah. man that was twice your weight that was it you just had to do mm-hmm. it to prove yourself yeah um, obviously that's an extreme version of you know like carrying oh, a no. to prove honestly yourself, I think but... <laughs> yeah I, I, I completely agree and I think that that is probably one of the reasons why they wanted me to go on there because it was kind of a similar kind of reputation in a way but yeah, yeah I think I think when I start, when I decided to go into farming, I knew and I'd said to myself, no matter what happens, I'll do anything that like your stereotypical male farmer can do kind of thing. Um, and that I wouldn't be like asking a man to lift this because I didn't want to. I was just going to throw myself in there and do everything, see myself completely as equal, no matter if no one else saw me as equal at that time. So um, yeah. yeah, I think I think that was exactly the same thing. And I think it because I had that mentality and I've learned so much from breaking into the industry that definitely did play out when it came to when it came to SAS because I was just like you said I was just so determined to just be as good as the boys or as the men yeah, that, um, yeah. 
But I, I mean, there was a lot of people in there that were kind of, of of the same mentality. In there, we were all just kind of one. We weren't the girl, the lasses, or the lads, or but just a number. Yeah. <laughs> a number. You were definitely just number twenty-five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were one of the. Was there two women that made it to the final three? Yeah, yeah, two, two. two. So, um, yeah. yeah, Louise, she passed it. She was hard as nails. I loved her. She yeah. was the um the surgeon. She was great, and we actually were naturally we paired up for everything together in whenever okay. they make you go to they always make you pair up for like carrying people or doing other things so yeah um yeah we were very like-minded and mentally similar so I think we that really helped us both in a way but yeah I do say that when like when it came to like the big challenges like the ones that look really scary like abseiling down the thing um yeah. down the rock or jumping off backwards like all those things I was completely fine with in the end, I made myself think of it in a way that I'm on Channel 4, I'm not going to die, just jump. Like, deal yeah. with it. Jump They're off. Not like, let that happen. Yeah. 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 But when I got to interrogation, oh my word, my head was just, it was gone at that point because they'd, we'd had no sleep, we had no food for 24 hours before, and then this was the next night after that. So oh, it'd be like wow. nearly 48 hours, I was running nothing. And yeah. those noises that they play in your ears, um, Oh, and those yeah. and those kind of stress positions I pff, I can't even explain to you how horrendous it is yeah. I wouldn't even know where to begin but that, that absolutely fried my brain like the only example I could think to explain like how much my brain was fried was like we got kidnapped at like 1am in the morning so yeah. um, we were in yeah. the interrogation room and it was freezing you're in the boiler suit and you've got the mask on and the sack and your hands are tied together and I remember being freezing cold, like sat on concrete with my arms out in front of me, like, what is this going on? I'm trying to remember this yeah. whole story at the same time. I'm trying to remember. Um, yes. I'm freezing. <laughs> it's like freezing cold. And I'm like, oh, my God. And they're walking. They picked me up and walked me to, like, interrogation room place, I'm, I'm guessing. And I was like, oh, I was like, I feel warm. I was like, why do I feel warm? And in my head, I decided that they must have thought that we were so cold that they were walking with, like, those heat lamp things to keep you warm. <laughs> And then I got into the in, into the room and I looked up to the corner of the room and there was like this little hole in the wall and I hadn't even grasped in my mind that it was the next day and it was light oh. outside and it was the sun that was making me warm, not them with a light. Yeah. Like my head was like gone. I needed to go for a wee at one point and they like picked me up, like kept my whole mask and everything on, unzipped my boiler suit, pulled it down, couldn't see where I was and just went wee there. Oh, so no. it was probably the most surreal experience of my whole life. I like I yeah. dropped any kind of like dignity and pride as soon as I got in there. Yeah, but I loved I it, and I'd go do it again. Oh, really? Yeah. So, how, what What was it you, like mentally that made you or helped you get through that? How do you cope when things get really tough like that? Oh, I think it was just the fact that I'd set my mind to something, and I knew that I wanted to get to to the end. Um, and I think I'm just so stubborn and determined. And in my head, I was like, look, this isn't, you, you might be feeling like you're suffering now, but this is, this is not forever. There's going to be an end and yeah. you'll be fine. And I was like, all you've got to do is push through now. And I think even when you think you're at your very, very last effort, like your head is, you've, you've still got like 20% left in the tank. It's still there. It's just your head's so good at convincing you otherwise and telling you actually, no, you are right now, like just rein it in. Whereas if you can kind of control your head and be like, no, I can give so much more, um, then that was it. So I think I think it's down to determination slash kind of absolute stubbornness <laughs> um, <laughs> to to not give in and not to fail. But uh, yeah, I've always really enjoyed being out my comfort zone. I um, I'm not one of those people that kind of likes to just kind of dilly dally about life and all happy and comfy. I like to be pushing myself all the time. So I feel like yeah. if you're not if you're not outside your comfort zone, it's like you never grow. Um, and I love that feeling of like accomplishment after you've done something mega, mega hard and yeah. kind of testing. So I think I almost kind of like crave it, really, in a way, like an addiction. Most people, <laughs> most people maybe push themselves to go and like meet someone new or go to a meeting that they felt like <laughs> yeah. you went on SAS. So well, <laughs> you win the award for the pushing yourself uh, the most. Well, probably. But now I'm like a bit buggered because I'm like, well, what do I do now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> pushes that one even that, out yeah. the water. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, that, that's it. So if anybody's got an epic challenge, that's it. Samuel, yeah. if anyone got an epic, epic challenge, it'd be great. Oh, you might get flooded with the uh, charity offers for crazy things, but yeah. That's it. 
<laughs> but you come across someone as quite positive and always looking on the bright side of things. How do yeah. you how do you keep yourself positive? So we've we've talked about how you deal with difficult things. So what do you do on a day to day basis or a weekly basis that keeps you looking at the bright yeah. side of things? The main thing. I mean, there has been a point where I've not been super happy with where I'm at, and at uh, one point through my farming career, I made a decision that was based on what I thought people wanted me wanting to see from me next mm-hmm. rather than what I was happy doing so mm-hmm. I'd done the whole contract shepherding thing um and I was doing really well at it and then I was kind of like I don't know I think I succumbed to, I, did, I just succumbed to some kind of social media pressure that wasn't there but I made it I made it up in my head that people expected to see something bigger and better from me from now so I went and applied for a farm manager job it was the exact opposite of how it was sold to me is what it was going to be it was meant to be yeah. there were 300 sheep um on a 15 1100 acre estate they wanted to get up to a thousand within two years and I thought this is oh, wow. amazing I can get my teeth into this this would be absolutely brilliant it turned out to be the complete opposite of that and in the end they wanted to just kind of let all the grass out so I was going from working with animals every day doing what I loved what I always said I'd do in life to then sat in an office yeah. uh, doing sheep hardly ever um so then that was kind of my time where I really wasn't wasn't positive all the time and there was definitely down days um but I decided then after sat behind a wall crying behind a sandstone wall with the dog after just being too much <laughs> I just sat yeah. there to cry and thought you know what like the only person that can change this is you like you are yeah. completely in charge of paving out your own life and doing things that you want to do so I kind of made my promise to myself that day that I would kind of create a life that I really loved and make it work in any way possible so I went back to contract shepherding I went back to making time off away from the farm for myself to do things that I loved outside of farming um and I kind of made the conscious effort of every day that I woke up to start off picking like my attitude of picking my thoughts like I always say every day you get up and you pick your clothes that you're going to wear, don't you? And you you decide, oh, I'm going to put these shorts on today. I decided to wake up and like pick out something positive that was happening or going to happen today. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful things that you can do as a person. I think the way you, you wake up and the way you start your day is so important to how the rest of your day pans out. Like if you wake up and you're already grumpy and you're already kind of dreading something that's going to happen, like your day is going to end up going like that and going horrendous because of how you're subconsciously thinking all the yeah. time so yeah. um yeah. so yeah so I mean at one point yeah it was it was like I was literally positively like and like consciously selecting these positive things but now it just kind of happens just kind of happens more naturally now and um yeah but I think that's the best thing you can do is just to make an effort to think positive and but yeah. also surround yourself with people that are who get you who get you get your values are heading in the same direction of life as you and people that push you and like motivate you and inspire you like they're like the most important people and they're the people that will make you grow as a person they're the people that will make you realize how much potential you have and all the good things in life so yeah and for you is that your family and friends or have you got people in the agriculture industry that have become those sort of mentors for you yeah I've got like a, I have a mixture so like my yeah. Danny's my partner like he is brilliant he's a farrier yeah. and he's like getting well into the farm and life to be fair to now um he <laughs> is on amazing on your Instagram he loves it doesn't he oh absolutely loves it yeah. <laughs> like now he's like don't do any big farming days without me I'm like oh hell fire <laughs> um but he is brilliant and like no matter what like he's somebody you can come home to and you know he'll always make you feel better and he'll always make you smile and make you realize what else is going well and when you're focusing on that one tiny little grain that's not good yeah, um, yeah. and then quite my family have just been amazing from the beginning and then yeah, there's loads of people in the in the agriculture industry that I look up to that have kind of been like a mentors to me and a wing to me like Derek Scrimmager when I first started he was unreal James Rebanks has been brilliant um there's absolutely there's loads of people there's loads of people on social media that I kind of like speak to every day to do with farming that yeah you just we like cheer each other on from the sidelines without without even having to be there so I think people like that in your life are absolutely invaluable and they'll be the ones that see you right and look after you and put life back into perspective again when you feel like it's out of control (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
So going back to your business a bit, what's the aim of your, your business over the sort of next five or 10 years time? Do you like to have a plan of where you're going or do you like to sort of just see what life throws um, at you? Well, that's the thing. I've tried to have a plan for years and uh, that's never seemed to work <laughs> because that <laughs> it's involved land coming up that's completely out of my control. Um, I say that I am a very kind of in the moment person I live completely in the present um whereas my sisters they are both like super super planners they plan okay. loads of things um yeah. they've had life plans since forever and I'm one of those people that will just go with it and keep like my options and my head open then for things that opportunities that come in front of you at randomly and random time so you're in a position to kind of say yes or no not yet um so I mean the plan I mean, the grand plan is that I would love the flock to be up to 400 ewes, big enough to be a bit more of a substantial farm business, but also so I can keep doing my other things and the media stuff and all of that kind of jazz. Um, Yeah, we run the diversification project here as well, which is called Your Natural Leaders, which is kind of a business that um, we put together. I I brought like my world in from the farming world and mum and dad's kind of background, which is they do a lot of behavior change stuff and leadership development. So oh, okay. we take kind of companies from all over the UK, all kinds of different sectors and businesses. Um, we take like top teams and we teach them how to work a dog on sheep. And we relate that all back to kind of leadership development. So we focus on body language, communication. Okay. It sounds so crazy, but it is so powerful and works so, so well. Um, yeah, so we do like pers- yeah we do like personality tests with people before they get here so we know kind of who is a bit like what and we'll match dogs or like dismatch people with dogs depending on like what goes <laughs> on so we'll have people that will yeah. really get on well with the dog and then we have like a dog with the opposite personality of somebody so I actually used Fraser him. once yeah and I never used him again bless him because he was it took me about three days to reprogram him <laughs> All right. we, had, we had a man in the in the ring and he was like working the dog and he just didn't really listen to much that I said. We've never really had anyone like him before. Everyone gets it quite well. And uh, he's, he was using none of the commands. He was doing none of what I said with kind of like body language and kind of using the space. And all yeah. he was doing was kind of shouting at, at, at Fraser. And he was going, yeah, no, no, that way, this way, this way. And in the end, Fraser was just kind of guessing. And it was getting oh, the man okay. even more worked up because Fraser yeah. was trying to please him. The next thing, Fraser jumped out the ring, out the field, and went and sat in his kennel. In the and house. um yeah and like and like all of his colleagues were like but that's what you do at work like you just you like shout things at people but you give like no clear direction no clear kind of indication of what you want um we filmed all as well at the same time he went back and he was devastated he was so devastated but he like emailed two weeks later anyway I just wanted to say thank you so much for kind of what you did it's gone like it's made such an impact in my kind of work life but also at home with the kids and like communicating with them better so yeah, it oh, sounds amazing. mental, but works really well. So I think the plan is to just keep growing that more as well on the farm because that that yeah. really is what makes the money on the farm. Yeah, yeah and then and then just the, the sheep, I guess, to kind of keep boxing the lambs and keep growing that. And yeah. I think the main focus is going to be good efficiency and productivity, to be honest. So we're really starting to kind of make sure that we're only keeping the most productive ewes in the flock. And okay. um, we're starting to use kind of genetically bred up so we're using the Abermax this year for the first time from Innovis to kind of put a bit more yeah. science and research into the flock which I've kind of missed from missed doing yeah. from university really yeah and do you do some performance recording of your of your use as well or so that's really going to be starting this year for the first okay. time yeah so well, we'll be we'll be recording the lambs um and then hopefully we'll we'll increase it into the use and that in the next few years to come from there hopefully yeah give you a better picture of what's performing well so yeah exactly yeah. So you, you, you still do some contract shepherding as well? Yeah, I still do the contract shepherding. I've taken a little bit of a step back from it just so I can kind of balance the farm, the media stuff and the contract shepherding all together because there's a few, yeah. a lot of things going on and sometimes yeah. I don't understand how I quite fit it in, <laughs> but I just yeah. juggle it in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I still do my main bulk of contracting at lambing time. So from January to April, I lamb all over the country. So I start down in Hereford. Then I go to Northumberland and then I come back here and lamb mine and the neighbours sheep at the same mm-hmm. time. And then I do, yeah, anything from little bits on the farm. So I either look after people's farms and they go away on holiday. I do a lot of fell gathers in the Lake District, um, kind of bringing down thousands of sheep off for, for whatever time of year it is at that time. Um, and yeah, industry kind of general 
bits and bobs of sheep farming, kind of dozing, wool wrapping, yeah, all that jazz. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's very it's very busy, but it's um I wouldn't have it any other way. And yeah, it's definitely a lifestyle thing. But I also make a massive massive effort to to kind of step away from work and have some time to myself and time doing other yeah. things as well. I think mental health at the minute is one of the biggest things in the industry for me. Um, yeah, I think it's so sad and like it makes me feel sick to think that we lose one person a week to suicide in the industry like I just it just makes me so sad so I think one of the main things is that people just don't see a way off the farm or way out the farm at times and they don't make time for to do things that gives their head a break from it I think I've sat around so many farmers tables and they've said to me you know what one of my biggest regrets in life is not taking time away and spending more time with the family off the farm and it makes me feel so sad. And I don't want to be that person who's then sitting there and saying that to somebody younger in years to come. I want to be learning from the people that have said it to me. Yeah, so make a lot of time for kind of just getting out in the fells, paddleboarding. Um, yeah, just enjoying little mini adventures on a weekend, really. Yeah, so how do you manage your sheep with that then? Do you just sort of try and keep the work to a minimum at the weekend and make sure that you... Exactly, yeah. Of, yeah, okay. yeah, so I do... Or if I am busy on a weekend, then I just try and take a bit of a time on a weekday, if, if possible, yeah. even if it's just an afternoon or even if it's just a couple of hours just to kind of walk up the fell behind the house and just yeah. breathe and, and take yeah. a bit of time. It, it never has to be anything drastic. I think it just... Yeah. We just have to make sure that we take get a change of scenery every now and then yeah and like and put ourselves first and I think we we forget as an industry that we are that the farm won't run without us and if we're not here then it's yeah. gonna go to pot anyway so us we need to look after ourselves as, as well as we look after our animals really absolutely yeah we see this problem time and time again I think it's just because farming is so consuming because you're living and working in the same area aren't you and with livestock yeah. there is no such thing as a day off really so um, exactly you know you go from one busy spell to another so yeah yeah and right. that's it and it's it's so easy isn't it to like just get wrapped up in it and go no 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 I need to work every single day I need to do this yeah. I need to do this but and I used to do that all the time and I've just kind of made myself take a bit more of a conscious step back and go look do you know what that'll be fine if it gets done tomorrow or yeah. that's not necessarily a major priority right now go with a friend and have a cup of tea and a walk like yeah something simple just to get away yeah 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 going back to sort of women in agriculture topic then it's a sort of relatively new phrase women in agriculture obviously there's always been women involved in agriculture Mm -hmm. but it's become more apparent that we're needing a bit more support for getting women into the industry do you think there's a need for women only groups and events or do you think we're getting past that stage now it's so tricky I think the issue is, is that when we say women in agriculture, so many people get their hairs up on the back of their neck on it and they get like, well, why do you need that? And it's like, well, actually, it's very clear why we do need to have things like this. Because, I mean, I use like the perfect example I use is that I go to like a farming dinner and I'll be one woman out of out of 10 on a table and all the rest will be men. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, my wife's at home. She's staying at home and I've come out for the night. It's never the wife that comes out and the husband that stays in when it comes yeah, to the no, farm right. things. And that's yeah. like, and it's like, that's my, th- that's literally like my example to everything. I'm like, because you men always got first and if it's a women only thing, there's no excuse as to why you're there. You don't yeah. need, you can't be there. Like, it doesn't matter. Well, like, um, I'd be surprised some men turn up to my women in agriculture events and they're well, like, I just fancy coming because the topic was interesting. And I'm like, well, that's it. You I come. mean, I've seen them there at the ones I've spoken as well. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I think people need to remember that this isn't women saying that we are the first women in farming and we're the only ones that matter. There's amazing, amazing women in the history of agriculture that have done unreal things. Hannah Hawkswell, Beatrice Potter, they were fantastic, fantastic farmers. So no one's ever taken that away from them and saying that this is only just happening now. It's just wanting people to say some things aren't quite as fair and opportunities aren't quite as fair at times. Yeah. Um, and it's recognising that and it's recognising that, that women are strong enough to do a job and be in a job. And it, I think people think that we're trying to give women strength, but women have already got the strength. It's just making sure that strength is seen as equally as a man's strength whether that's yeah physical strength mental strength anything yeah it's just giving them that opportunity to get out as well to, to these things to realize that completely because yeah. often there's, there's other child care issues or other family caring issues that they are doing as well as running the farm or Ex- you know exactly 
do you feel you've been treated differently because you're a woman in the industry or do you think that's been more of a new entrant thing than a woman thing um I think there's been times where I've been treated differently because of a woman being a woman um it's never things that I've tried to dwell on and I always try and say no matter what that it's it's better to not let it be an issue in your head so I've always tried to be very like open with it and go look I don't see myself as any differently so I'm not going to even make an issue of the fact that I'm a woman it'll be on other people's head if they do do that so I mean and and there's nothing you could do about that then I guess what you could say is at times there's a lot of jokes that go around that you would never say to a man that you say to a woman and you just take it on the chin whether that's acceptable or not acceptable I don't know (laughs) Um, (laughs) probably in a lot of other workplaces it wouldn't be acceptable um I take it on the chin as kind of part of the banter and I know that I'm quite kind of an outspoken person anyway and I will literally kind of give as good as they get back so if they give me any crack then I'll give it back but I mean there's a lot of women that won't feel comfortable doing that and they won't be quite as confident in in speaking out about things like that Um, Mm and yeah and I guess that's why it's so important to do those women-only events as well because there's so many times when you're in a situation where you're in a group of men and you don't really want to voice your opinion as much maybe because you're you don't feel like you just uh, people just don't feel confident enough to do this some women don't feel confident enough to speak out for the men and I think that's the nicest thing about these women at groups is that it gives them the opportunity to say everything they want to say there's so much less judgment there's so much supportiveness and encouragement around it in every single one I've spoken in I've had I've just felt such a buzz about being in the room because everybody's on the same page everybody's wanting the best for the agriculture industry everyone's wanting the best for women and themselves individually and it's such a feel-good kind of a kind of day every time that you come back and you feel like you could be invincible and that it doesn't matter (laughs) at all if you're a woman or if you're a man and yeah and every single woman in the room will say that but we need actions to reflect that and we need people to understand that there has to be things and steps taken to make that Absolutely, because to bridge that gap to equality, really. Yeah, well, I'm running these women in agriculture groups. We've got 14 across Scotland now, and amazing. Yeah, I mean, that says everything, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and the the atmosphere is very different to the, you know, the the other farm advisory service meetings are open to anybody, but yeah. 99% will be male that turn up. But that has changed yeah. the last couple of years. Some of the women that have been coming to the women only groups are now coming to other meetings because they're a bit more confident. So amazing isn't it just that confidence boost for women to yeah. say hey girls like you can more than handle yourselves in any situation like you just yeah. just gotta believe in yourself and just have that bit of faith isn't it and yeah well, my ultimate said, aim is that we don't need women in agriculture meetings anymore. exactly they'll just yeah. come along to our general meetings and they'll yeah. feel comfortable and confident so yeah. I think yeah that's it isn't it I always say that very similar to what you've just said then I feel like when I can do an interview and nobody asks me what it's like being a woman in agriculture, then we've won the battle. Yeah, exactly. And it's no longer an equality thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just a person in agriculture. Yeah, 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 exactly. You'll still have the new entrant label, though, probably for years. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, over have you. That for a while. Yeah. I could deal with that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what top tips would you give to someone starting out in agriculture then? The first one, I mean, is just to be consistent and to understand that. It's not just an easy ride in and it's going to be hard. I think as soon as you get your head around the fact that it's going to be a challenge, then you're already one step ahead of the game because you're prepared for the fact that you're going to have to work for it. Um, I think to network is one of the most inviolable things you can do. Take to social media, get to know farmers, get involved in discussions and in debates because that's when your mind truly opens up and you learn a lot of things that um I'd say go on farm walks and into anything like that I mean there's always loads of farm walks going on here and you don't necessarily have to be to do a farming to get on them and yeah. um, I like open farm Sunday again brilliant opportunity to get on a farm to see what it's like I think the biggest the biggest mistake I made is that I was so fixated on working with sheep that I didn't get enough experience in some of the other sectors so I mean when it comes to arable yeah. farming I put my hands up I know nearly nothing I know very minimal stuff about arable farming I'm all right on a tractor I'll just do the basic things but bit really we don't need much more other than the basic things for sheep farming yeah. <laughs> um, um so yeah I would make sure that even if you're not really that bothered about going into arable or going into dairy or going into beef or sheep or whichever it is pigs chickens to still get that experience on those farms I think 
when you look at farms around the UK now, they're run on such kind of a mixed farming system and a mixed business that it's so much more beneficial to be able to dip your, your toe in all of them and hold your own in all of the different sectors. Like now I do like, I do like sheep and cattle, but that's all that people get me on to do on the farm now. So whereas they could have somebody else coming on who's capable of doing all different little bits and yeah, you're just far more of a head again with it. So that's one of the, the, the biggest issues and the biggest things that I didn't do, which I recommend everybody doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, I guess just, just to read as well. I think a lot of people forget to kind of pick up a book or to kind of jump on Google and see what kind of the latest sciences are, the latest technologies and learn about those things. Like hands-on practical is definitely the most important, but you can back up so much of your kind of knowledge by actually just sitting down and reading and kind of taking that time as well um, yeah. away from the farm to kind of build up that. Um, and then my other one, I guess, is look for opportunities outside farming. Like I, when I was like contracting and it was a bit more quiet, I used to go and work in our local pub. Um, right. And hats off, it was one of the best things I ever did because every night I was sat with the farmers and I was learning loads. I was getting to know them. And I got like, quite a few jobs through just for the fact that I was sat <laughs> at the bar with them, like pouring them a pint every now and then. I was I say, did you ply them with drinks first? <laughs> oh, yeah. Every now and then we give them a free one just to keep them on the good side. But I tell you, it works. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Free pint and they're um, sold. That's it. That's it. But I guess it's, yeah, I guess it's just to think outside the box a little bit. Like you don't, if you don't want to go knocking on farm doors and you think it's a little bit, daunting or a bit scary then then just kind of involve yourself within within the rural communities really mm-hmm. um and get to know them and and eventually doors will open but yeah I guess it's just keep going and don't get downhearted by it and it, it will be worth it in the end yeah I mean I would definitely say that when it came to experience the best thing and the, I think the reason that I managed to progress so so fast was because I wasn't just sat like on one farm um, and I was moving between different farms. I was seeing different systems, um, different setups, different kind of breeds of sheep, cattle and everything. And it massively opened my mind. When I went to Australia last year and worked out on a 25,000 sheep farm over there, wow. which was insane. Yeah. yeah, so that was another eye opener. So, yeah, I would say, especially all people are young to travel. I think I made up I made up excuses for years why I couldn't go to Australia or New Zealand saying I was too busy. And I was like, do you know what? Sat myself down and said, if I'm too busy now, I'll definitely be too busy in years to come. Yeah. Um, and it was definitely an adventure and a journey of a lifetime. And I learned so much. So, yeah, definitely move around a bit, go on different farms, travel the world, see different bits of farming around the world. And I guarantee that you will not regret it. Brilliant. There's some great so. tips in there. So what drives you personally? Why are you why do you do what you do? Why do you get out of bed every day? I think when I from when I was tiny, I always said that I will always do a job where I never felt like I was going to work. I mean, mm-hmm. and even from when I was little, that was kind of a big, big priority for me. I remember being in school, hating the fact that I'm in a uniform, like I wanted to tear it off at like any earliest opportunity and get out of it. And I just knew that I wanted to be outside and be with animals and yeah. do what I love that's what I'm doing every day so I I find it really kind of hard and really sad to see people that don't do a job that they love and I hate it when you like go on social media and people are kind of craving a weekend or they're dreading the fact that a Monday's coming I just I find yeah I just find it really difficult because I'm doing something that I'm so content with and happy with that I, that I don't even second thought jumping out of bed and running around the sheep and getting the dog yeah. out and I, I guess as well the dogs help don't they I mean the dogs are like my best friends ever you, you never feel like you're on your own you never feel like anything's too bad a thing because you've always got your dogs there to give you like okay. a nice little get your team a nice little yeah exactly my team team red I call them yeah <laughs> um, so finally what is success for you and how do you measure it it probably sounds really cheesy but I think you probably pick it up from most of the interview I think I mostly measure success on happiness as long as I have got enough money to get by and to keep my farm ticking on and the animals well and to keep me happy and Danny happy um, and to be able to do little things that we love doing like going out in the lakes and paddleboarding and that's all I could ever wish for I don't really massively worry about the big luxuries in life and mm-hmm. I'm no I'm happy I think 2020 I feel awful when I say that I feel like 2020 has been such a great year for 
for me personally which is so weird weird to say really and I feel almost guilty saying it but it's time it's the time that the farm's finally been able to grow and expand we're implementing so much more of a system in now we've got more land and we're putting a lot more rotational grazing in um like we're using more we're putting a lot more like genetics into the flock so it just feels like the patience over the last seven years to build up to this point is finally paid off and we're finally getting to be a lot more flexible and do what I've wanted to do on the farm for years so yeah, yeah it's just a good it's a good place I got engaged as well in July which is even amazing yeah, more amazing it. so everything's just fell into place really there's so many people that are stuck in jobs that they're doing and but they've got all the money in the world but they're still not happy I always said that I would work to live not live to work and I think I don't know I think that's what makes you so happy and positive because I don't know like I said earlier I wanted to create a life that I loved and I feel like I love the life that I'm doing and I don't settle either so I'm always constantly pushing myself anyway yeah um in all aspects of life but at the same time doing it in an enjoyable way you can't ask for more than that really can you no no definitely not (laughs) I don't think so anyway some other people might disagree Thank you, Hannah, for taking the time to talk to us today and providing such an interesting insight into your your farming business and your life. The Farm Advisory Service runs 14 women in agriculture groups across Scotland, to which all women who are involved with agriculture are welcome. You can find out more about the Farm Advisory Service and the work we're doing with women in agriculture on our website, www.fas.scot. Or if you need advice, call the helpline on 0300 323 0161.